All right, so we are here today. We are talking about the power of words. Our words have the power to breathe both life and death, which is a huge deal and a huge weight. And as I look around this table, we have people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life, different livelihoods, callings, families, backgrounds, all the things. And yet there's a common thread that we've all experienced both words affecting us negatively and words affecting us positively. And so we're just going to have a conversation about words today and their power on both sides of the spectrum. So we're going to start with when you think of words having power, what comes to mind? And Ashley, I'd love to start with you. When you think of words having power, what comes to mind? I think that immediately I go back to Genesis 1. I go back to that God spoke and I immediately think of like he took something where there's no form and he brought form and he took something that was dark and he brought life and he took something that was dust and he breathed life into that. And I just think that for us as those who are created in the image of God, what a beautiful thing that we have the ability to speak life, that we have the ability to um, speak into people's lives and um, also, we have the we have the responsibility to steward what we're speaking. And so, something that I say a lot is, um, I really won't last very long in a friendship, or relationship if you're someone that throws gasoline. Like I'm looking for how in my life am I constantly pouring water on things when there's a culture that is constantly pouring gasoline. And so, that's I think immediately where I go. And then I also think of two different examples, even with Jesus of the greatest invitation in Mark 1 when he says, hey, follow me, and how that invitation and those words lead to life. And yet in Mark 15, he, he um, curses the fig tree and it dies. And I think that even as you see those pictures, like one is leading to someone walking in life and the other is leading to something that goes straight to death and how we have the ability with our words to do both. Um, so that's kind of where I go. Good. Anyone else? When you think of words having power, what comes to mind? I think I've been pretty keenly aware of this for at least the last 30 years. It's probably a product product of what I do for a living, you know? I mean— Yeah, you say a lot of words. I say a lot of words. I, I just In a microphone on a talk. stage, yeah. Yeah. And actually, just like you were saying, I mean, if you go back to John chapter 1, of all the things that the second person of the— of the Trinity could be equated to, he is called the Logos or the Word. It was this mm -hmm. Greek idea of taking this formless thing into form, and then he becomes flesh. And we're going to talk about this a ton. Um, as a reflection of image bearers of God, there are things that do not exist, and we speak, and now they exist. Mm -hmm. Now, you can take that too far to the like, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel. And that's not what we're talking about. But the Bible says that in the power of the tongue is life or death. And so when we speak, we are either fanning the flame of life that God has implanted there, or we are killing things that we're supposed to be alive. Yeah, I think it's fascinating that when it, talking about the power of words and specifically the text that we're wrestling through in James – is that so much of it, to y'all's point, it's, 99 people could say something to you and it bounce off like like a rubber bullet or whatever. You know, it's just water off a duck's back. Mm -hmm. it, sure. It's who's speaking mm -hmm. 
to you and your perception of that person, your value of that person's mm-hmm. opinion, your – you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like one person could offer constructive feedback and you receive it. Mm-hmm. And another person could say the exact same words, but based on your relationship and mm-hmm. your history and your perception of their motives, it feels like criticism and rejection. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so the whom – is talking carries the power of is is where the power of the words comes from as it plays out in the course of our life. And then I think about the second one is like how many if I really think through regret in my life as a believer for sure, which has been you know my entire adult life, but I can think of at least a thousand times where I regret having spoken. Mm-hmm. But I can only think on like one hand the times where I've regretted not saying mm. something. Does that make sense? So if I'm going to get myself in trouble, it's 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 coming out of my mouth, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I think when you said that, it's amazing. Like my brain does this. Uh, it's almost like this film. Like like within seconds, there's all these these receptions and deliveries of words that I have, I've either given or received mm. that um, honestly for me, I go right to all the negative, right? Like, wow, as a dad, as a husband, as a professional, the number of times I've probably hurt people with my words. That's the way that I go. When I probably should be on the other side is trying to think about maybe when I did speak life, mm. maybe I didn't, but um, that's, that's the way I hear that. Mm. Yeah. Thinking about the, uh, how from overflow of the, heart the mouth speaks um the way i grew up i didn't hear a lot of encouragement i didn't didn't know a lot of uh love or uh, anything really so much about jesus and so that kind of put me on a trajectory to where i didn't mind my words um and i i reflected back what i received and so being in christ and reflecting back there's definitely a lot of guilt and pain for the words that i've said um and even the path that they lead you down um that uh that your words matter and uh, that carry weight. That's a great segue into, I'd love if everyone could share a time that words have left a negative impact on you and has stayed with you throughout your life. Alex, you want to start? With a negative impact. I am not growing up in a Christian home. Uh, I was spoken life to, but more on a performance-based. I'm number seven of seven kids and I was the idle child I was the baby, so I was told I could do anything, and I did for the most part because of that. But on a negative, um, actually, I went to boarding school when I was 14, and um, I was spoken death to there. It was a Christian home, and that's where I got told all the things I wouldn't be and couldn't do, including my voice. Um, I was singing at a Southern Baptist church. We used to, like, tour and sing hymns and— I'm singing in the middle of it. The owner of the boarding school came up and said, that was awful in front of the whole congregation. Mm -hmm. And the minute she said that, it articulated to my voice, not just to singing, but to the sound of my voice. And I think I carried that like, uh, you know, I'm about to be 40. It's been, Mm -hmm. it's been, it's been a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say a minor experience I had, um, there's definitely been a lot of hurtful things and things that I witnessed and that were said to me, but just something that always stuck with me. Uh, I remember going in sixth grade into our uh, high school gym to go work out, and my coach literally put his hand on my chest, and he was like, Corey, you're too lanky. He's like, you want to be able to build muscle. He's like, go play basketball. And I tell you what, man, I didn't lift weights till I was probably in my 20s mm. because of that. I was just was like, okay, like something as simple as that. I was like, 
hey, I guess it's just not for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know it's something minor, but uh, I never forgot that. You know, you just think about, you know, because you can live up or uh, you can push back or you can accept what people say to you sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go next. Um, I, I, Britt knows this. My, I grew up in a really bad um, family. I had a stepfather who was extremely abusive um, physically and emotionally. Um, and I tell people all the time that the um, the emotional abuse of his words were far worse than any of the physical mm. abuse um, as a child. And the words that stuck through were um, constantly, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're never going to amount to anything, you should just kill yourself because you're a waste of life, mm. like those things. And, and um, those words became a driving force in my life to prove this guy, who honestly doesn't matter, wrong at every step. And um, what ended up happening was I had a ton of professional success because of those words and destroyed personal relationships along the way. Um, And it took a long time. There's a whole healing side to this. But um, yeah, I would say for 35 years, it was a a negative driving force in my life. Yeah. So the root, so you lived basically under these striving in your work for sure based off of the words that were spoken over you as a kid and it was amazing like um the trigger of that word someone could just be goofing around and say oh bro you're so stupid Mm. send me like high and right i'd fight people over that word uh it was it was crazy Mm. what that word could do I feel like that is something that resonates with me a lot. I also grew up in a really broken home, and um, that was marked by abuse in all of its forms. And for me, there's two moments um, that are so distinct to me. And one is I remember from most of my childhood that my mom, whenever like we weren't behaving, her biggest threat was that she would send us away forever. Mm-hmm. And how that did something in like as a child, it did something in my soul that says, hey, if you don't perform, then you're just going to be sent away. If you don't perform, it's just going to lead to an abandonment. And that did something in as in me as a kid. And um, when I was a teenager, I actually um, left home. I ran away from home. And one of the last things my mom said to me prior to going away to college, I graduated high school early and I was going um, to school. And my mom said is, you're never going to make it. Um, you're just going to end up back here. And I spent so many years, similar to what you said, I chased all the things and I achieved all the things. And I remember in my 20s, like I was super successful in the corporate world. And then I thought, gosh, only my dreams will come true if I actually do this in ministry. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the top in ministry and you realize that doesn't satisfy either. And so at at 30, I'm like, "I've, I've accomplished everything I've set out to accomplish there's nothing left. And what do you do with that? And so I feel like I spent a lot of years trying to prove, um, a few years ago, actually, the Lord said, like, in my spirit, um, said to me, like, Ashley, are you living a life that is in response to words that were spoken over you? Or are you living a life that is in response to what I'm speaking over you? And that really mm. shifted something in my soul. And it was a hard reality, but gosh, I'm so thankful that the Lord would reveal that in my 20s. And I didn't get to 50 and realize, gosh, I spent my life climbing the wrong ladder. And so I feel like that's just the kindness of God, even in the midst of so much brokenness, that he He would woo me to himself mm. um, in my 20s um, and make those things known. 
Pastor Joey, can you make the tie biblically to these words that are spoken, the power of these words, even something as small as your lanky and him fighting that for years, and the biblical background of how that almost becomes an identity, like Lonnie's talking about in his professional life. Like, why is that? What are the spiritual implications of these words that have been spoken? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, the book of Proverbs says, careless words stab like a sword. So I always have a knife. So <laughs> what's crazy about the it comment— did just get weird. But you'll remember it, right? <laughs> yeah. I will. Because even the unintentional words— Stab. That's the point of that. Mm -hmm. Careless. If the opposite of, of careless is careful. So if you're not careful with your words, maybe that guy didn't even mean anything. Maybe he was just trying to be funny. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. If I was careless with this knife and it slipped out of my hand and stabbed you, mm -hmm. you would you would remember it. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say, but wise words lead to healing. Well, healing takes a really long time. And there's a scar there forever and ever and ever. And that doesn't get taken away. And so, I mean, I can remember some things. My first grade teacher in a parent-teacher conference told my mom, he'll never make it past sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sitting there like, I can hear you. What do you, <laughs> yeah. I, I can hear you, what, the words you're saying. So when I graduated high school, I sent her an invitation. When I graduated college, I sent her an invitation. <laughs> when I graduated grad school, she was dead, but I wanted to. I'm going back one more time. I, if she was still alive, I would still send her an invitation just to be like, ha ha. <laughs> Now, a part of what that ha-ha, I told you, and I'll work, that's a part of the scar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's a thing there that's not from a healthy place where I'm like, see, you know? Yeah. And the thing about words, man, you can't, you can't take them back. You can't put them back in. Mm -hmm. There's an event in the Old Testament when um, uh, Isaac is on his deathbed, and Jacob comes in to steal Esau's blessing. And Isaac, in case you're new to Bible study, he can't see good. And so Jacob dresses up like his brother, smells like his brother. His brother's real hairy. So he like puts hair on his arm and tries to like mimic his older brother. And he receives the blessing that his older brother was supposed to get. Then when his older brother comes in, he's like, hey, I'm here for my blessing. And Isaac's like, I already gave it out. And Isaac's like, well, just give it to me. And essentially what Isaac says is, can't, you can't undo it. Like once those words go out, they have done what they do. That's why it's so powerful. And if you let those things, if you don't allow the gospel to heal them, then those labels and words, those scars can identify you. And one of the favorite tacks of the enemy is to get you to identify, identify yourself by your scars. I've said this a million times. The gospel is that we're identified by the scars of Jesus, not by our own scars. So going into this, I knew you were going to ask, hey, what were some times where you've been hurt by words? Well, the ones that I can really remember that aren't the silly ones are from the people that I love the most and are closest to me. And it was hard for me to go back and find them and like re-remember them and bring them up in my mind because I've tried really hard to do the thing that we teach here about making the debt ledger and canceling the debt. And 1 Corinthians 13 says that love keeps no record of wrong. And for so many years, I've tried to not, not be historical about that and bring that up, that it's a good gospel work of the Spirit of God in me that those things don't define my current relationships with the people that I love so much. So I right now wouldn't even want to bring up a bunch of the things because it's like my mom and my dad or my wife or my brother, you know, people that... 
I have really great relationships with, and mm-hmm. and we've all been careless with our words, and we all need the grace of Jesus mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. So this, this is why it's, it's what you started with. This whole thing got started with a word. Mm-hmm. Like God had an idea that was the cosmos with image bearers in it, and he spoke and a thing happened. Mm-hmm. And so our words are that powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you connect it to like the grace of God at work in your life. You know, I, I didn't grow up in a broken home. It was. It ended up being broken by tragedy in the form of death, but it wasn't broken by like divorce or abuse. But it was highly religious, hmm. and the power of words inside the church among Christians, I think, are are uniquely powerful because of the source that they're connected to, and they can easily be hijacked and manipulated. And you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. so for me, it was like working through the wounds of religion and religious words. In a lot of ways, you know, it's like when my mom gets sick, I clearly remember this. My mom's sick, and there was a group of folks that came to our church that went to our church that were, um, they just, let's just say they came to anoint and pray for, for the sick, which is good, mm-hmm. right? But I clearly remember when they were there, them looking at me and my brother and asking, what's the sin that you're, mm-hmm. like, what sin are you walking in? Now, they didn't make the direct connection that this thing that's happening in cancer in your family right. is your fault because of sin, but my little 13-year-old mind made it real quick. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and so it took like years of like wrestling through what you know on the natural of like, I know this is not my fault. Mm-hmm. People get sick and die. It's terrible. It's hard. But in, your, in, your, in the corners of your mind, you just got this thing running around about – like how the enemy will take even that and turn it against you and say, like, you'll wrestle through the feelings of abandonment and rejection and you'll connect it to some behavior that you had. And it's all because somebody let out of their, they were a little loose with their, like, mm-hmm. the, theology and their words. And you know what I mean? It's all done under the banner of of God, you know? And and so I think it's, like, super imperative and like you said, everybody's going to say stuff, even good intention stuff that ends up landing wrongly on people. And the gap between what I say and what you hear, in between there, there's a whole lot of demons trying to hijack that thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's right. No um, and, and so, I, and but it's it, not just what you say, man. It's the tone in which you say it. For sure. I mean, Proverbs talks about your tone and how that can either squash a fight or create a fight in your home. Mm-hmm. Because one of my one of the places where I fail miserably is I'm so aware of how powerful words are. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years. Okay, so I think if you read a read a transcript of the words that come out of my house in my home, and you could not read the tone, I think I would pass. People are like, well, those aren't bad words. <laughs> That's right. You know. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of times Gretchen's like, why are you so aggressive? Right. So it's not it's not just the things that I'm saying. It's how I'm saying it. For sure. And it matters like crazy. This is why I think, back to the the proverb about careless words, stab like a sword, that means you better be very careful. Like, if I pull that knife out, I am responsible for what happens to that knife. If words come out of my mouth, I am responsible mm-hmm. for the words that come out of my mouth. And if they stick you, that is my responsibility. That's right. And so it's not just the actual words. 
It's how you say them. It's when you say them. That's a big deal. It's mm-hmm. who you say them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When you talk about tone, it reminds me of a sermon Pastor Britt preached years ago, and you shared a story, and you use KT at home, and we use KT at our house too, so it's kind tone. So it's just whenever he's at it, I'm like, KT, he doesn't love it sometimes, but it, it's a reminder of tone because it just it matters, mm-hmm. and it makes the world of a difference, and it does. It's helped us. I know it's helped many others because we've shared it. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been two things in my life that have been more convicting than uh, anything else I've, I've gone through or experienced, and it's being a husband and being a father. You know, um, I'll think I'm, I'm being a good man and doing what I'm supposed to do. And then, you know, something will go awry and I'll feel it. I won't say it, but I feel it. And I'm like, whoa, like, what is that coming from? You know, um, and it's, you know, catch it before it comes out because mm-hmm. words matter. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So we talked about that words, careless words, stab like a knife. So the reverse question is, when is a time that you were careless with your words that you have not forgotten? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the list is so long, man. We don't have enough time, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've been in meetings with me where I feel like I'm just being direct, but the way it lands on other people is very hurtful. And my instinct towards that is to defend my intentions mm. as opposed to like, Bearing your burden as a brother in Christ Mm -hmm. and saying, oh, that's my bad. Well, and I think there's something to, when we talk about who says the words, and we're sitting amongst a table of massive leaders in all of your areas, and when I'm in meetings with you, it's almost unfair because your words weigh so much heavier than a person next to you. Or like I can imagine you in your meetings at your company— and your words just weigh a thousand pounds. So not only do you have to be careful because that's just what we're called to do, but also being mindful that the platform God's given you also gives extra weight to your words. And context 100%. matters like crazy too. Like there's things I can say in a sermon, because I'm not talking to a specific person mm-hmm. and saying you were a wretched, black-hearted sinner and you deserve to go to hell. That is different than if I just <laughs> one-on-one That's right. to my 13-year-old say those same words. So that matters like crazy. Yeah. You know, you got to pay attention um, to not just what you say, but where you are. Mm-hmm. Those things matter. Yeah. But but I, the other thing that's, that's uh, it's not an excuse, but what is difficult for me is the thing that you all love about my preaching, it doesn't work good at home <laughs> with just three of us, four, you know what I mean? Right. And... Um, so learning how to like downshift mm-hmm. into a different tone. Um, there's also there's a difference between being assertive and and speaking with an angry tone. These are mm-hmm. these don't have to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's a very there's a difference there. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of, I've had Megan, my wife, multiple times tell me like, "You're not at work right now. Like, I don't work for you." Mm-hmm. Like. You know, just the the brevity, the directness of which I'm talking, and it's just like this kind of recalibration. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see how that's coming across. Yeah, Yeah, definitely speaking directly at the house or um, coming home in work mode and realizing that not everything in the house needs a solution um, or my opinion. Um, I I can definitely be checked by my wife. She's She was made for me. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, (laughs) I think of culture. I think um, being Latin, I think our normal level is yelling. 
and then we escalate <laughs> from a yelling standpoint. We really do. Right. So, you know, Monty doesn't love when, when he, Armando has his car windows down because he, he, that's just his normal. So I have to remind her, honey, we're, it's just different. It's a little different coming from a, a background of, you know, we have Cuban and Brazilian, so we've got a little height in there. But I would say <laughs> culture matters. I have being saturated in this environment for the past seven years. I've seen a standard of, of um, calm. I feel that's been very complimenting for us to participate in and pick up from others. Mm. Another thing I would add to growing up in a household where um, riddled with addiction and uh, dysfunction, yelling was the norm. And so as becoming a parent, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old being mindful of that, that, you know, that I'm not bringing that same energy uh, when it comes to discipline or reprimanding um, and, and remembering what that was like and, and that cause and effect. Um, back to the, the kind tone and, and how you say it. Matters. I think for me, I have one distinct memory and I'm going to go all the way back to middle school, but I was a category of unkind that I don't even know like if I have words to explain how nasty and, and unkind I was to people. And I was nasty to a lot of people, but I remember one girl in particular who I was just cruel to. And um, and out of my cruelty, she tried to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, looking back then, now I guess 20 years later, I didn't have words to explain what was going on in my like 12 year old brain. But something was happening that I knew in me was like, oh no, I'm becoming the person that I vowed I would never become, mm -hmm. my mom. And that did something in me and that started this path down. Um, it was the first step of many in which would lead me to being removed from my home. And, and as I look back, I honestly, I really wrestle. I wrestle with the reality is that the same thing in the same place that I caused so much death was this, was God and his provenient grace in my life was the same thing that would lead me down a path that would lead me to true life. And that wrestle and that like living in the midst of that is something that I still wrestle with. And I think of her often. A few years ago, I actually, um, I tried to look for her because I just, not that I needed her to forgive me, but I wanted her to know that, gosh, I was so sorry. Mm -hmm. And I'm so sorry for all of the things that she has to bear the weight of because I was careless um, in that season of my life. And so, and I think that God uses that still frequently. And so I think of her often, especially in the moments I'm really frustrated mm -hmm. and I'm ready to tear everything down around me with my words. Um, and I think of her. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing that often forces me to withhold what I'm about to say um, in moments of frustration and anger towards others. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. Good. Thanks for sharing. I'd say a pattern effect too, you know, when people hurt you with their words or you grow up in environments where there's not love or lack of love or even knowing what love is, eventually you take on those traits. And being a, a young male um, growing up in the beaches area here, I ran with other kids that were just like me. And at first I was kind of astonished at the way people would talk to each other and how we joked with each other and stuff like that. But then it just became what we did. And the hurt that was done to someone like me as a kid um, created insecurity and that anger would lash out. So we would get in a lot of troubles, a lot of fights. Um, and so the words 
really um, you didn't carry the the magnitude of what you were actually saying because uh, one it comes from a place of not loving yourself or receiving love mm-hmm. and I think um, after surrendering to Christ and and knowing um, that I'm not defined by the words of this world but defined by who he says that I am the words matter so much more mm-hmm. um, I didn't understand what love was or even how to receive love or love others because of the environment that I grew up in but once mm-hmm. I was loved by him it just changed everything and so sure. I feel like the responsibility that comes with um, being a man and knowing who's, who's you belong to um, it makes those words matter so much more when you speak That's good. We've touched on this a little bit, but what are some of the labels or idols that can almost be created out of the root being words that were spoken over you or experiences as a child? How does that manifest itself later on in life in the form of idols or labels? What's Delani's point earlier about him reacting to, you know, these words that were spoken over him and driving perfectionism and performance and I'll show you wrong, you know? Mm the the idol of the approval of man c- comes from um, well a it's just from a sinful heart mm. uh but when you grow up in a place that's either emotionally neutral or you or you perform at an early age that was kind of our story was was I performed at an early age even it was a religious performance from the time I was a teenager. And so you start getting this number, man. People start applauding you. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you get addicted to that thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh-oh. And you you know what I mean? And then then all of a sudden it gets real narrowed down to like a thousand people could be applauding you, but you're really just after like two or three mm-hmm. say two or three people to say, Good job, good job, that was great, yada, yada, yada. But you just get hooked on it and you get fed on it. You know, you know what I mean? And so I I'm the on the kind tone thing, a part of that whole process, I remember my wife and I are both very naturally driven. And I do think it's important in conversations like these to talk about lights and shadows as much as you talk about totally. sin and hurt. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there's a light, which is we're driven people by nature. Like, we, we we want our lives to mean something, and we're driven to, like, be responsible. And there's a lot of good. Mm-hmm. But then there's a shadow of, like, you can drive others and you can take it too far and and everything's about accomplishing and taking the next ground. Well, when one of my girls was small, she was in a classroom with a teacher that had a very negative vibe, right? Just general vibe is negative. And she's real soft-hearted, but myself especially and sometimes my wife, she she's got a pretty good tempered, but sometimes I can fall into that like just driving tone. One day we we come home and it's like bedtime and bath time and the, and the girls are still small, but my daughter's not moving as fast as I want her to. Mm. Now that I'm sitting here saying, I'm like, she's like six years old, seven <laughs> years old. I'm like, That's what right. the heck? Is, why are you, what's wrong with you? You know? So I'm like driving her to get to the next thing, you know, get your clothes, get it. And I'm just, she's not moving as fast and I'm just on her. And she in her little mind had just had too much hmm. from all th- that day. And so she just starts like hollering mm. and because she just didn't know what else to do. And it was comes with tears and like, it was this real moment where God just like broke me. Mm. And I sat down in the chair in her room and let her like get it out. And then I was like, Hey, come, come over here and sit in my lap. And it was like this real defining moment 
for us in our relationship and even in our house of the tone and the presence and the driving and like poor my dog, like at that moment, it's like, Lord, there's something that happened somewhere in me that has grown to a place to where I'm now driving my children over things that are completely irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, what, what does it matter if we're 30 minutes later to bedtime than we, our perfect ideal is? Does that make mm -hmm. sense? But I'm so afraid to not live inside this ideal mm -hmm. that I'm going to drive my children That's and right. use my words to over, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so do, that was a moment of grace where God was like, get back in there and figure out what it is you're actually after. Mm -hmm. And ask the Holy Spirit to heal that thing and break that so that one day your kids aren't driving their kids mm -hmm. because you know what I mean? And so anyway, that's a long story, but it is how it plays out generationally. Is, when the Bible says fathers do not exasperate your children, mm -hmm. that's exactly what that means when you put them in a no-win situation. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we can do that with our words. Your question about idolatry, man, the, I mean, the, <clears throat> the core of idolatry is when we look to anything to be for us what only Jesus can be for us. And so where words come in is oftentimes we look to some person and they use these words and the, the seed of the idol begins with you make a vow either to be just like them to win their approval. That's typically in the performance trap or you promise I'll never be like you. Mm -hmm. And so you spite them, you know, and then so for me, man. I was a super late bloomer. I show up to the weight room like in eighth, ninth grade, and they're making fun of how skinny and strong. And I'm like, I'll show you, you know? And then as far as like athletics and stuff, that came a little later, later in high school and then into college and that sort of stuff. Then I find myself, like you mentioned before, I find myself in rooms where I'm in charge. Mm. And yet it's crazy that same little insecure boy still lives right in there. Mm -hmm. And then my insecurity comes out and I'm quick-witted and sarcastic by nature. And man, for the for the applause of the room to worship at the idol of my insecurity, I will cut somebody down because mm -hmm. it's funny and everybody laughs. And then try to hide behind the, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. You can't That's take right. a joke. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And have been working on that with the help of the Holy Spirit a whole bunch, particularly over the last 10 years of my life. That's good. But that's that's the kind of thing that happens, man. Mm -hmm. And so you start tracing that thing back. One, I'm trying to win the approval of my father and the respect of my peers. Mm -hmm. And then as an old dude, man, I mean, I might be 50. <laughs> seems like I wouldn't be concerned with what all the people that I work with think. But that's where that insecurity can rise up, come out of my mouth, and at great expense to you, mm -hmm. I try to make much of me. That That's the idol. So it's true. that whole idea of do I have what it takes, right? Oh, we gosh, talk about it all the time. And, um, you know, it, those words are spoken over to you, over me specifically, and it was proof that I didn't have what it took. And then my whole life it was about proving that I do and proving it to this guy that I wasn't even talking to, right? It wasn't until I finally gave my life to Christ and did all this healing work that I realized that, I, that he's the only one that defines me Amen. and validates me and defines me, right? Mm -hmm. So, um it's crazy, but it, but I still struggle with it. For sure. What's today. crazy is my we didn't grow up in church. Ever. I would never went to church when I was growing up. My dad never opened the Bible with me. He said, like, the old Southern country prayer you say over your dinner because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. <clears throat> but yet, and, and there was a lot going on when I was in middle school and high school, <clears throat> but he primarily s spoke a lot. He, he would say things like, you can do anything, and mm. 
you know, those kinds of things. And if you look at my life and my brother's life, we actually believed it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it wasn't even like rooted in who Jesus was. It's because our daddy told us we're Martins and, you know, we do everything with excellence and anything we put our mind to. I mean, they're, they're kind of like secular proverbs that he would say, but what we heard, he coached all of our teams and all that stuff, but we knew he believed in us and we just kind of felt like we could do it. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I'd love to take a turn towards the, the light of the shadows, um, where words have brought life to us. And so I'd like to start with, we just talked about situations where we were careless with our words. And, but yet there is redemption and forgiveness and grace in all of it. And so what does the healing process, you've alluded to your healing process. I'd love to hear what does that healing process look like when we have been careless with our words and how do we move forward in pursuing godliness, especially when it comes to the words that we speak? For me, it was being accountable for him first, you know, and then going to the people that I hurt and truly and sincerely apologizing you know it doesn't fix the fix it but it, it's it's the foundation for uh to be acknowledged and let go um and then there's a lot of people in my life that um forgiveness wasn't so much about reconciliation as it was moving on you know um but for me uh, a lot of you know it was falling on my hands and knees and um going to god first repenting and then going to those people so sorry is a very powerful word. But not just sorry. Like, sorry, I did this, yeah, this, sure. said that, you know, being specific. But there's something Joey said I don't want to run by. It's very, very wise. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness mm -hmm. is a unilateral decision to cancel the debt or ask that the debt be canceled. Okay. Mm -hmm. Reconciliation means to be restored back to where you were. There are some relationships that do not need to be restored. They're unhealthy, they're unsafe, whatever the thing mm -hmm. is. And reconciliation takes two people, and, and forgiveness and repentance is always required. Well, you cannot repent for somebody else, mm. but you can forgive anybody that's sinned against you because you have been forgiven of your sin. So it's a very wise statement mm -hmm. that you just said that, that I don't want people to miss. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to connect the idol to back to this one, but my dad was, um, I didn't understand the idol until he passed. And then I lost the person speaking into my life and took a turn. And so through that transition is when I learned who I, who I am in Christ. And so my identity was rooted in who he said I was. And a couple years back, um, we were at a retreat and you asked us in the room, who are we looking to please? And we had to study it the night before. And I, I just was praying and my dad is the only person there until this day he's passed, but he is the one that I would want to please. I, I love you all. And I wouldn't want to please you. Mm. It's my dad, mm. you know? So I think in the redemption, I love what you said. It's 100% accountability for every word coming out of my mouth. So I grew up, you're a woman of your word. I'm a woman of my word. And I hold to that. Rather, I tell you I'm going to text you later with a contact or I tell you I'm going to commit to a whatever it is. I make sure that I'm accountable for every word and it's painful. Because mm -hmm. when you have kids, you say things and you're just like, mm, I'm shaping their little heart or their little brain. So I, I just hold that near and dear. I think it's really hard to heal from what you're not willing to acknowledge. And 
I think that for me, um, I think it starts with repentance, like repenting to a holy God first of the reality that I am a sinner and that I need Jesus and I need grace because if not, I'm just doing it for, for the approval of someone else and I'm doing it to be right. And I think that there's a difference between being right and being righteous. And so for me, a lot of like, as I think back through all of the times I've hurt people, it has to start with God first. There has to be a vertical reconciliation before there can ever be a horizontal reconcilia- reconciliation. And so for me, it started, and that's actually where it's harder for me to sometimes actually um, repent to God than it is to repent to people. Um, And so I, over the years, I have learned that that actually has to precede anything that I can do in any other spaces. Otherwise, they're just words. Um, And I'm still held accountable, like, to that, to God. And so I think for me, it's making sure that the right things go first um, and then letting the secondary and the tertiary things to follow after that and things go a lot better when the big rocks are when the rocks are put in the right order so i think the the something you said that it was right on is be specific you're like i'm sorry that i mm-hmm. i think whether it's in conversation with god you know it's like when i'm a teenager it's like every night i'm like dear lord forgive me for my sins today and then the next day i just do them all over again <laughs> right and it wasn't until i got started getting really specific both at the sin and then digging into the root cause, the idolatry, the history, mm. the more specific I got, it's like inviting the Holy Spirit down deep into the soil to get at the seed of the weed. Mm. Does that make sense? To get that thing all the way out. And so specificity matters a ton mm. within our relationship with God and in our relationships with each other. Like even preparing for this, I'm like, of course my wife is the person that I've spoken probably the harshest words toward. And I'm sure, you know, at least once, maybe half a time, she said something to me. But because, like, the power of I'm sorry, and it's specific, mm-hmm. it's like how, how the Lord can just, like, redact the history of your memory. Yeah, well. You know, that I, I have a hard time even drawing them up, mm-hmm. even though I know they've been there because of being quick to say I'm sorry, you know, and... For me, one of the things that that I try to practice as often as I can that I found healthy and helpful and godly, I would argue, is that I just don't defend myself. Like I try really hard not to defend myself ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, part of me starts maybe it's like a false humility. I don't know, but it's like the chances that you're probably at least partially right that I made a mistake, <laughs> they're pretty high. Mm-hmm. Like I know me, and there's a yeah. pretty good chance that I didn't do it all the yeah. way right. Um, and, and the way that plays out in apology is like, um, I'm sorry that I, and that's it. That's right. Not here are all my reasons, mm. not here's what I was actually thinking. Not, it's just, I'm sorry that I, will you forgive me? And that has a lot of like teeth in it in mm. regards to the Holy Spirit gets in there and takes our meager offering of humility of, I'm sorry that I did this. And then he grows it to like redacting memory and like restoring relationships quickly. And you know what I mean? And so. Yeah. Redacted history is very biblical. Um, When you're talking about how God by his grace will change even your memories of the things. If you, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, 
It's got a list of all these things from the Old Testament. By faith, here's what Moses did. By faith, here's what Noah did. By faith. It, but if you actually go read the accounts in the Old Testament, you're like, that's not what happened. It's <laughs> not what happened at all. But what happens through a gospel filter is God's like, yeah, but I got involved. We're going to retell that story in a God-glorifying way, and we're going to, you know, by His grace, by His mercy, there's going to be a whole bunch of sin that gets overlooked there, and we're going to retell this story this way. And so words are how you get there. Like the power of words are also, as you're telling your family story, as you're telling your your own history, as you're telling about those kind of experiences, every little grimy detail doesn't may not need to be talked about anymore mm. in specificity, you know? Mm. I mean, you're not going to lie. You don't say things that are untrue, but you can baptize some of those things and say, here's how I choose to talk about this from now on, mm. because by the mm. grace of God, he's making all things new, including that thing that I went through. Mm. And it does. It's a, it's a bit of a redacted. In fact, one time I was talking about my dad and my brother goes to our church and he's like, did we have the same dad? And I'm like, well, you know what? He, at that point, he wasn't, this is why. Now at this point, he's put his faith in Jesus, man. So it's totally different. At that point, he was listening to the sermons and I'm not going to like put him on blast. And I'm not trying to like ruin my opportunity to share the gospel with him. You know what I mean? And so I don't even remember the story I was telling, but I think it's a very sanctified way of using your words from this day forward to to re-remember, like kind of baptize some of those memories going forward so that they don't haunt you or so that they don't define you. Mm, I think the freedom, too, by defining yourself by by his scars and not yours, yep. too, allows you to choose what you remember and how you remember. You know, the freedom that I found in surrendering to Christ and, and being um, identified by his scars allowed me to to go back and truly love my family um, mm-hmm. and to not hold hold account or hold debt towards them that they can never pay, you know? And, you know, you and I were having a conversation a couple of years ago, and because I've known you a long time. I mean, I know you the like pre-Jesus days. You married one of my kids from, not one of my children, children, but one of my youth group kids from back in the day. Like I knew who you were in Jack's Beach from surfing and motorbikes. <laughs> like you had, you were legendary in high school. Anyway, um, you're still legendary. You, you, bro. <laughs> I'm talking about like his reputation was. Anyway, and you got it honest the way you grew up and stuff. And we were talking. I can't remember, but we were talking somewhere, and you said something to the fact of. Look, man, my mom was just doing the best that she could with the tools that she had in that moment in her life. And that's a totally different way of thinking about it Mm -hmm. than you owe me a better life Mm -hmm. or you owe me whatever. When you begin to extend the grace that you hope that you Mm -hmm. is extended to you and you begin to look at folks and say, hey, man. If I'd have grown up like that, maybe I'd have talked like that too. If I was in that situation, maybe I would have reacted to. They were doing the best that they could do at that moment. At least that's what I am going to choose to believe. And then God used you in a miraculous way to basically lead your whole family to Christ. Yeah. He's God. No doubt. He's redeemed them all. That's right. To be honest about words, my father was Catholic. He was married once. When he went to get married to my mother, he went to the church, and they told him that he couldn't get married there and ultimately that he was going to hell. And I didn't learn this until he surrendered his life to Christ, and he told me his story. And so he lived his life like he was going to hell because Mm -hmm. the power of the words of what he was told. And and um, he is redeemed and saved by Jesus. Um, I know he's a villain a lot of times in our stories, but he's a a good man. Amen. Did you want to share something? Like, I was just going to tag on to what uh, Pastor Britt was saying. Is I, I don't think it 
it matters. Um, like you were talking about the explanation of your apology. Like it doesn't matter what you meant. It matters is how that person received it. Mm-hmm. And that's our problem, right? Is we always want to, we always want to defend ourselves say, well, I didn't really mean it that way. Yeah. Um, and that's a hard one to get over. Mm-hmm. It's a hard one just to sit there and just say you're sorry and, and not double down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the call of the Christian though. You know, you look at Philippians two, especially where there's something to be reconciled, mm-hmm. right? You look at Philippians two and it says, count others as more significant than yourself. That's what Jesus says. says. And when we have acted in a way where we obviously did not count you or your feelings more significant than my impulse or need to say words, in order to redeem that, in order to reconcile that thing, I I then have to put myself in the position humbly that this is about this apology is about you and and about your because sometimes you can apologize, but it actually be about you clearing your own conscience, right? You know, especially uh, when you do the. I'm sorry you felt that way. Um, but that's not an apology. It's not an apology. It's not an apology. Not only was I not wrong, but you yeah. feel wrong. That's right. I'm right. sorry for all of that. It's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. Right. Mm. Please forgive me. I'm, you know, you matter more than me. And I want you to know that you matter more than me, you know? And another thing with the power of words that the Lord is working on me really hard is, um, and you want to talk about lights and shadows. Again, man, I preach for a living. Use lots of lots of words to describe things that you can't necessarily touch or feel or prove or whatever. Um, typically do it in a humorous way with lots of Bible verses. I'm an awful person to get into a verbal argument with, especially if you don't have multiple degrees in the Bible. And then, and I do, I can have a tendency to do this with Gretchen, and it's so... It's so crazy, man. Like I can, I can see it coming and have the hardest time turning it off. And then again, if you read the transcript, I don't say any any word that is inappropriate, but use my words to like bo- box her in. Mm. You know what I mean? And she'll just be like, "Why do you do that?" <laughs> and I, I'm like, "Cause I'm trying to win. I don't want to uh, win, right? right. Well, she'll even do that. Why do you always have to be right? I'm like, well, just don't be wrong. Join me. Come over to the light side. You'd be right. We'd be right together. Yeah. You, exactly. It's awful. It's awful. But at one point, she's just like, why do you do that? And I just thought, I, I was in Romans seven in my mind. I was like, why do you do that? You're such an idiot. You you even know and have promised you wouldn't do it again. And here you want again. Here you are. You what a wretched man I am. And the only my only response can be, I'm so sorry. You're right. I did it again. I am so so sorry. Yeah. So to close, I would love to talk about a time we started with. When have words had a negative impact on you? So I'd love to close with when have words built you up? When who is someone or something that has been said to you over the course of your life that always kind of stuck with you in a positive direction? I can give you four immediately, mm-hmm. in no particular order. <clears throat> Coach Lee put his finger in my chest and said, boy, when you preach the Bible, I say you come alive, I say them come alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, change everything. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when we planted this church and Gretchen came home to be a full-time mom, I sit on the couch with the kids and she just comes walking in one day and she looked at me and said, thank you for my life. Mm-hmm. That's, that's better than I love you. The dog loves me. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's a good one. 
Um, <clears throat> I told this story a hundred times, but one time I was tithing at the church and JP was like, dad, why do we give so much money to the church? I was like, we, what you about? this is me and your mama. You don't give nothing. You know, that <laughs> conversation. He's like, why? And I remember from Exodus where Moses is like, when your kids ask you why, you tell them that we were slaves in Egypt and by God's mighty right hand, he brought us out there, you know. And so I told him that. I gave him the whole thing. I used to be a sinner. God saved me. And he just looks at me and he's like, I'm glad you're my dad. And then when Reagan, when I went running up the stairs because I thought she was burning up in the in the fire in that hotel. And, uh, and then when I grabbed her and I was like, baby, I would do anything for you. I'd walk through fire for you. I said a bunch of stuff. And then that night I'm tucking her in. She was like, daddy, you would walk through fire for me? And I was like, yeah, baby. So it's those four moments just are right there. Like I can, I could smell the smoke when I say it. Mm, that's good. Who else? I probably have two quick ones. So I have a, my wife is like heads down chief encouragement officer in my life mm -hmm. all the time. Um, she keeps me going in the right direction. But I can remember um, Pastor Britt and I were on a golf trip. I don't know if it was last year or the year before in Oregon. I waited like two years for this golf trip. And the first day, um, some stuff goes at work that is a disaster. And now I'm on my phone trying to play golf and I'm just like melting down. I'm like, mm -hmm. I can't believe this is happening right now. And I just, I texted her and I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Like right now, I can't believe this. And like her prayer to me was like, I mean, I shared it with these guys. We cried over it. It was mm -hmm. so powerful. Just about like, just take a step back and, and look where you're at and enjoy nature. Mm -hmm. um, the, the physical ability to swing a golf club, like all these little things that I had just kind of forgotten about because sure. I was so focused on this little work thing. So um, she's, she's amazing. Um, but there's one that like professionally that has always stuck with me. I am, um, I'm retired military. And um, when I first joined the Navy, I'm this young 17 year old and I look like I was eight <laughs> when I was 17. Um, I'm on a, I was on a submarine and you know, the new guys get, they get the junk jobs. And my job is to clean and scrape the bilges. So it's underneath the deck plate. You have to climb down in there and this nasty stuff and use this paint grinder. And it's, it's terrible work. And it's in Georgia in the summer. So it's hot and miserable. Well, the chief of naval operations, who is the senior ranking officer in the military, came to visit the base and came to visit our submarine. I had no idea. I was too young and too dumb to even know what that meant. But this guy comes and he has his entourage of people. And I can just, you know, you're down there in this village and you hear people walking on the deck plates above you. And the next thing I know, there's somebody climbing down in this bilge. And you know the difference between a, a, an enlisted sailor, which I was at the time, you wear these like blue dungarees. And then officers and chiefs wear khaki uniforms. And here's his khaki legs sliding down there. And here comes this guy, and he has this collar device that has all these stars on it. I don't even know what that means. I just know it's like somebody super important. And he introduces himself to us. His name was Mike Borda. And he shakes our hand, and he thanks us for what we're doing which is amazing, but then he explains why what we're doing is so important. Mm -hmm. That little job maintains the integrity of the whole, which keeps all these sailors alive when that submarine goes underwater. So what went from a junky little job all of a sudden became like I had purpose in my life and it mattered. And like those words stuck with me. I'm like to thank people for the job they do, mm -hmm. but then to tie that, that thank you to the, the grander purpose and the grander mission of what we're doing kind of professionally. Wow. That's mm -hmm. great. My best friend is Rosie. She's 62. She's about to turn 63. She's been my best friend since I was 16. She has faithfully spoken the word of God in my life year after year after year. 
mostly through text. I actually went last night, I was um, looking at some of the screenshots, and it's just God's word in my life of who I am and who he's called me to be. And I read that thing every morning. I mean, she's faithful about it. English is her second language, so it's broken, um, which I love. And it just is, so I've got her, I've got three others that do a version of that, and Armando. My husband is, you know, loves to send me a text of encouragement. But what I noticed last night, it's to my character. It's not my eyes. It's not my blonde hair, whatever it is. It's it's my character that they speak into. And that's the thing that's, that's life-giving. Mm. It's my character. Um, I think for me, I have two. So first is um, a few months ago, I was serving on at an event. And um, while I was serving, I was walking in the things that I feel like I am called to do. and But also at the same time, simultaneously wrestling with insecurity and what is my purpose and what does the Lord have for me? And there was an an older guy that is a pastor that I just respect the most. And he was so quick to not check my ego, but instead just call out what he saw in me. And he didn't know that I was wrestling through Mm. just questioning so many things and what the Lord was doing in my life. And he was just so quick to speak life and so intentional in the way that he spoke life and so intentional in um, the way that he affirmed me. Um, And it was such a gift. And so that was a few months ago. And then the second would be... um, I have had the gift of walking alongside someone for years, and she is someone that is really quick to lay down the things that she is gifted in and the things that she falls or she feels called to and instead leverages, has leveraged her influence to create spaces for me to walk in the ways that um, I'm gifted in. And so for her, like she's constantly speaking life and speaking truth into me um, over the years. And I feel like there's countless words that I could tell you that she's spoken, but um, her investment in my life is the reason why I think that I get to do what I get to do mm-hmm. because of the ways that she is encouraged. And um, even in the midst of, of deep pain and sorrow, she's called out life. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, those that she's for sure one of the greatest gifts for me. I've always been very driven. Um, I give pretty much anything that I do 110%. Um, the two people that come to my mind that have always just, like you said, spoke to my character, <clears throat> that spoke to my character, character was my brother and my wife. Um, they saw something in me that I didn't see. Um, it's, you know, that internal question, do you have what it takes, you know, when you, when you're, despite what you, what you go through, you're typically pushing to prove that. And my wife saw something in me before I even ever saw it myself. My brother was always the same way. And then, um, both times my, my kids told me they love me. Like my little boy being at three years old was just like, daddy, I love you so much. When he (laughs) gave me a hug, like that wrecked me. I can, I can cry if if I go there. Uh, and then there's another kid when I was 18 years old that skateboarded on a company uh, that we had and he was 11 years old. His name's Paul Hart. And um, he was the first to actually tell me about Jesus. Um, he was the first to ever mm-hmm. speak faith to me. Um, and he constantly throughout my life was like, you know, God's going to use you in a mighty way. And, and it was before I ever surrendered. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm supposed to be like your bigger brother, like mentoring you. But like, here you are, you know, he's just always been that that light. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't see it and couldn't believe it then, but I know it now. So mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, I think my dad, of course, 
uh, we were at the funeral parlor. I've shared this with our church before. We're at the funeral home. My mom's in, in the casket in the front of the room. There's like a sea of people. And my dad, I'm in the back of the room, just leaning against the back wall. And I'm watching my dad for hours, just like handle people with grace after his wife just passed, you know. I'm standing back there all like just jacked up. My dad walks through the sea of people and comes over and puts his hand on me. And he looks me in the face and he goes like, son, life's hard, but God's good. Mm. And that always just stuck with me. And every time, and as I live my life, it's true. Mm-hmm. Wow. But there was like permission to struggle mm. and to have faith at the same time mm. from the most important man in my life. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you can struggle with faith. Mm. And um, so that was one. Uh, my brother, uh, super godly, you know, look up to him a ton. I can think three or four times in my life where he's called and listened to something I was a part of or, you know, whatever. And he's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. And that that matters a ton mm-hmm. to me. Uh, Pastor Joby, for sure, has been that in my life, no question. Um, I remember the early days. I've been here about 10 years now. I came in a year or so after the church started. And in the early days, we would have a lot of conversations, just figuring each other out and learning how to, how to best work with one another and how can I best be helpful to him in the thing that God's called him to do. And and. I was he way overemployed me early, and it's still true today. But it was it was true <laughs> back then for sure. And um, and I asked him, uh, we were having a conversation around just man, what if I mess up? And he just looked at me and was like, "Listen, man, I got your back. Mm-hmm. Like what I'm, the consequences or whatever." He's like, "I got your back. I'm with you." Because I know you're with me, you know? And so that there was like this like mm. jolt of like encouragement mm. and brotherhood and like that that mattered a ton. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um and 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 then my my wife, of course, there was a time a few years ago my wife was leading a retreat and it was all ministers' wives and pastors' wives from the staff, and they were all just sharing about what God's doing in their families and my wife texted me in the middle of that moment. She was like, hey, I just want you to know you're doing a really good job. And I know it. But sitting here in this conversation, I see the fruit of it. Mm-hmm. And that was like, it's like mm-hmm. that thanks for my life kind of thing. That's not what she was saying exactly. But it was like that, like that's a hundred I love yous, which I'll take all those I can get too. Don't get me wrong, right. you know. But, um, and so it, words just have power. And Allie, I would say like to our church, we must have the most encouraging church on the planet. For sure. I mean, Pastor Britt and I get to spend a bunch of time with a bunch of other pastors of a bunch of other, like, really good churches, really big, growing, reaching people, doing great things, churches. But they have different stories than we have. I mean, our, the people in our church are so stinking encouraging. I can't—it's baffling to me the, the few gripey emails— mm-hmm. That I get it could be because they're all sending them to Jimmy Crestcorn and I don't care.com and they haven't caught on that's not actually my email address. <laughs> However, <laughs> the number of encouraging emails that we get around here is is over the top. And you know, I don't um I think Pastor H B said this, something to the effect of I don't think most pastors are are drunk on compliments that they're starving for encouragement. Mm. I don't feel that way here. 
I feel like our folks are are very, very, very encouraging and use their words really, really wisely. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the the sentiment of the staff and amongst our staff. You know, we don't have a bunch of negative talk. It's a whole bunch of like positive and speaking life. At least that's been my experience. Well, thank you guys so much. We have seen that words are very powerful and uh, I appreciate just the stories and sharing and I know our church is going to get a lot out of it. So thank you. Thank you.